0: Hi everyone, it's Meredith. This past Monday, the TSA screened more than two million passengers, down just 16% from this time in 2019. As travelers in the U.S. are returning to the skies, flight attendants are more important than ever, enforcing masking rules and ensuring everyone's safety on board. But not everyone is respecting their roles, with some airlines even considering getting rid of in-flight alcohol sales for good amid rising in-flight altercations. Last summer, Laleh and I talked with Sarah Nelson, International President of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, about her path to becoming a flight attendant and why they've been such a vital force during the pandemic. This week, we're resharing this episode as a reminder to be particularly respectful on your next flight. And before I pass it off to my past self, updates on a few points Sarah makes in the episode. First, it's now required by a federal mandate that all passengers must wear masks in airports and on airplanes, regardless of vaccination status. And federal aid meant to protect airline workers like flight attendants, pilots, and ramp employees has been extended until September 30th, 2021, staving off furloughs, at least for now. Okay, let's get into the episode. Hey. Hi, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Laleh Erokoglu. Hi. This week, we are absolutely thrilled to be joined by Sarah Nelson, International President of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, a union that represents nearly 50,000 flight attendants at 20 airlines. You probably saw her or heard her speak during the government shutdown of 2019 when she urged the aviation industry to strike, which ultimately pushed the US government to work out a deal to reopen. It is an absolute honor to have you join us.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So I think both me and Meredith have infinite amount of questions to ask you. We're very excited to have you on. But I just wanted to kind of zoom out a bit before we really dive into your work with the union and talk a little bit about how you got there. Um, What was your career path and what drew you to being a flight attendant before you, you know, started to get into the labour movement? And what was your experience like in those early years? Sure. So
2: I actually went to school. I went to a small liberal arts school so that I could become a secondary English teacher. And as I was finishing up my degree and looking forward to doing my student teaching, my best friend in college decided that she hated her major and was looking for something else. And she stumbled upon the fact that United Airlines was hiring and looking for people who could speak a second language. So as we were finishing up school, she became a flight attendant. And that followed following fall, I did my student teaching, and uh, she started her flying career. And after I was done and living in St. Louis and working four jobs, trying to make ends meet, thinking about the job that I would have as a first-year teacher the following fall, setting up my classroom, and thinking about paying off my student loans— I was working really hard to make ends meet, and it was this really cold day in St. Louis, I remember, um, after getting no sleep, and she called me and she said, guess where I am? Uh, She said, I'm on the beach in Miami, and this is my layover, and United's paying me to be here. So she was giving me a hard time, and then she said, you know, but seriously, this is not what we thought it was and she went on to describe the contents of our union contract. She didn't put it in those terms at the time, but she described the pay and the benefits and the flexibility and the health care and the pension. And working for jobs at the time, retirement was sounding really good, even at 22. So so, um, I actually got in the car the next day and drove to Chicago, interviewed with United Airlines and was hired. And you know, set off on my flying career. Went through the six weeks of unpaid training and United sent me to Boston with the rest of my class which is a very expensive city to live in. And we uh, used our last dollars from the credit union to set up our apartment and used our train pass to get back and forth to work. And about three weeks in, my roommates got their first paycheck. I was so excited to see the fruits of my labor. And um, in my bank account, there was just $12. That's that's how low things had gotten and I had not been paid. So I went into the office the next day and said, somebody's got to help me. I didn't get my first paycheck. And they said, well, you get your first paycheck at different times for different reasons. We're sure you get it next time. And so I was on probation and had been told, don't make a stink. So I made it through the next few weeks until the next payday by eating a lot of plain food and um, making (laughs) ends meet with top ramen and maybe having a date or two. Those were steak and lobster nights. Um, But we got to the next payday, and I actually jump-seated to Chicago and back to eat some more plain food while I was waiting for that paycheck to drop. And I remember checking my account in Boston at the airport when I landed back there that day, and it, now it was zero, zero in my account. So I went right down into the office and said, somebody's got to help me. I didn't get a paycheck again. And they said, oh, really? Well, you get your first paycheck at different times for different reasons. And all of a sudden, I realized for the first time, I'm just a number here. And the tears started to roll. And uh, I was thinking, I can't even eat. And I had this tap on the shoulder and I turned around. There was someone looking who looked just like me. She's wearing the same uniform. I'd never seen her before, but she's asking me how to spell my name. And she handed me a check for 800, $800. And she said, number one, you go take care of yourself. And number two, you call our union. And I did call our union and I had my paycheck the very next day, but I always tell everyone that I really learned everything I needed to know in that moment when my flying partner was standing in front of me. Because as flight attendants, there's very few people who are better at taking care of others. And through our union, we can be organized about that and get the most out of it. And so I got involved because the local asked me to get involved after that. And I was so honored that they would ask me. I didn't know people said no. But I had a strong sense of justice and I had met these amazing people at work and I just wanted to get involved to make our careers even better. And so that was really the what started it all.
0: And during that whole time you were, when you were working at the local chapter, you were flying through all of that, obviously. Um, yes. What was that like? What was your time in the air like? And what was your time on the ground organizing like?
2: So uh, the first thing that the local asked me to do was to do the new hire presentations. And I was like, I'll sign up for that because I don't want to have somebody else go through what I went through. Um, so this was my days off and my days on. I uh, I was on reserve, they call it, uh, as a flight attendant. That means that you are, just have a day on and you have to sit by the phone and wait to be called for your assignment. So you never know where you're going to go, where you're going to end up. You kind of got to have your bag ready to go for whatever climate there may be. And, you know, I saw a lot of this country that I had never seen before. Later, I did international flights, but it was a lot of domestic starting out. And, um, you know, you start to learn where your favorite Mexican restaurants are, not just in parts of town, but in parts of the country. And lo and behold, there's a really good one in Lincoln, Nebraska, if you can believe it or not. Um, So, (laughs) on my days off, then I would still be going out to the airport because we had a little office above uh, the cargo center for for United Airlines. And uh, I'd be taking calls and be flight attendants out on their own with a scheduling question on our contract or... Or I'd be meeting a new group of flight attendants and helping them find their way around and um, just helping other people out and feeling like really like you're a part of the family because then these are also the people that you're going to work with. And uh, we, you just really take care of each other. So it all blends together for me, frankly. Um,
1: but th- those were my early days. This is probably going to sound like a very simple question to you, but I think... To many people, and to many Americans especially, given that few actually belong to unions in 2020, the role a union plays can be quite confusing to people, and the value in being in a union can also seem confusing. For people who aren't familiar with how it works, talk us through what a union does, and then specifically what a union provides for flight attendants and aviation workers.
2: Well, first and foremost, what I learned very early on in doing this union work is that I wouldn't have even had a chance to have this career if it hadn't been for my union, because it was through my union that the brave women who formed our our union in those early days fought against all the discriminatory practices that made flight attendants have to quit at age 30 or were fired if they weighed more than 115 pounds, Um, or had to wear glasses or got married or got pregnant. Um, And so this was not a job that you could have if you were uh, back then anything other than a white woman who was unmarried and... Um, didn't uh, have any other plans and didn't eat. <laughs> so um, so we, you know, we fought all of those things just to make this a career, just to make this something that people can be proud of and anyone with the heart of a flight attendant can have. We even fought, this is what I always say, this is what unions do for people. We fought to make sure that men could have the same rights as women in my job. Um, And then later we fought on all kinds of social issues that also have economic impacts. So for example, we fought really hard for domestic partnership benefits and we won those benefits in our contract before the first ordinance was set in San Francisco. We participated actually in those hearings to help uh, start the road to marriage equality. So it's really unions that set the footprint For the social and economic advancements that we've had all across the country and certainly in our work lives. But also unions have set the standard that say that if you go to work, one job should be enough and it should provide health care and it should provide a secure retirement. And if you're going to work more hours, you should get credit for that in overtime all of these parameters were only pushed forward because working people came together and organized through a union uh, to make things better for themselves and ultimately to set a standard in the market of each of those jobs so that companies had to compete against each other to the highest standards. As union density has declined, that's how we've seen the increased inequality in this country, because there's not, there's not a level playing field between the employers and the workers. And so it's really just that simple. And then you take it to experiences like today in the middle of this pandemic. Unions are the ones who are helping workers speak up about the unsafe conditions and shining a spotlight on that so that we can demand fixes to that and make people more safe and improve those conditions or show really that these conditions have eroded so poorly because union density has declined and workers haven't had that kind of voice um, for even basic safety rights in their workplace. As flight attendants, we're 80% organized and we, uh, we won't get on a plane if it's not safe. Uh, That was what the government shutdown was about and the stand that we took there. And that was what the Boeing 737 Max was about. Ultimately, we said (laughs) uh, we can't be convinced that this is safe and we're not going to fly on it. And we were a part of calling for the grounding. And um, that is also what's happening right now and demanding that the airlines improve their safety procedures in the lack of leadership that we've gotten from the government. Uh, We press both our airlines and the government and, and we improve those standards wherever we can, but we do that by being organized
0: together in our unions. So you mentioned this a little bit in your previous answer, but what are some other ways that you feel like flight attendants and the union in part have really pushed the needle For themselves and for for passengers.
2: I think that it also goes back to my first day on the job when there was a a difference between the people that I was working with who had been flying for 35 years at that time. Here I am this brand new flight attendant and I'm flying with these two flight attendants who'd been working for 35 years. And we got into the office and they had a disagreement with management over a provision of the contract and how we were going to work this trip. And they made their point pretty strongly. <laughs> I remember thinking, whoa, um, and they won. And then one of them pulled me aside and she said, cause she saw, maybe I was a little startled by that. And she said, listen, management, they think of us as their wives or their mistresses. And in either case, they hold us in contempt. Your only place of worth is with your fellow flying partners. And if we stick together, There's nothing we can't accomplish. And, you know, as I started to, I I was like, okay, I'll stick with you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But I really learned going forward just how true that was as we fought every battle. And I started to learn that these were the women who took on big tobacco and were the first ones to win against big tobacco to get smoking out of our workplace. And I started to learn about all of the safety and health provisions. I mean, we're the reason that the EPA oversees the water on board planes. We're the reason that the FDA inspects the food that comes on planes. None of that happened before. We're the reason that there are alarms that go off when it's time to get out of the plane and signals that help us coordinate on that and get people safely out. We're the reason that the materials that are in the plane do not burn as fast as otherwise they would put there if we hadn't been a check on that. And, and that's why actually the public should be very happy because you've got the best possible advocates for you in your travel space. We share your travel space is our workspace. And so our union contract and our union's ability to speak up is the best security you could have as a traveler to know that things are going to be safe because it's our lives that are on the line and it's our commitment to our jobs and it's our commitment and
1: organization through our union that makes the difference there during your time as a flight attendant and then working as president of the union, what are some of the most significant shifts for flight attendants that you've seen that have really changed air travel and the air travel experience? And I'm going to say pandemic aside, because we'll get to that.
2: A real career changing point, uh, of course, was September 11th, and it was five years into my career. And all of the sudden... Uh, My job went from not just being aviation's first responders responding to safety and health emergencies, but we were actually trained going into that day uh, to handle a hijacker by appeasing them, um, by trying to keep everyone calm. We had the exact opposite training of what was required that day. And so my friends were working Flight 175 that took off from Boston um, and ended at the World Trade Center. and um, they they reported some of the first intelligence of that day about a war we didn't know we were fighting. And what was incredible is that that information that they got to us, um, they they lost their lives and it, it absolutely haunts me that their training, Set them up. And I just wonder, did they question that in that moment? Did they have time to question it? Did they know what was going on? But in any case, they gave us information about what was happening. And we got that to our fellow crew members on Flight 93 um, that departed Newark an hour later. We got that information to them. And in no time at all, they organized with the passengers, who, by the way, included men and women, Asian, Black, white, Democrats, Republicans, independents, a gay rugby player fighting for marriage equality, a pregnant woman. And in an instant, they were just one against evil. And they decided to fight like hell together, to come together in one cause and risk their lives to try to save their lives, but definitely to save the rest of us on the ground. And so, in that instant, we not only were aviation's first responders, but we became the nation's last line of defense in aviation security. And every single day, we go to work understanding that people's lives are in our hands and that we have to be vigilant. And some people get to come and not think about that and put their headphones in and just hope for a safe, uneventful flight. But that's because we're on guard. And so, After that, all of the bankruptcies, our careers were under attack, and we had to fight like hell to hang on to all the things that we had bargained over the years. But we've also been working since that time to really raise the profile of flight attendants and help people understand that all the old, you know, sexist, dismissive terms that have been used... And the dismissive way, frankly, that we have been treated, we looked out for ourselves and each other, but never expected anyone to be on our side or actually hold us up as having an important role. We had to fight for those things. And we started to really push that forward and demand more of our managements and demand more of the public and recognizing the work that we do. And thank goodness with the Me Too movement, we were finally able to ask our management to denounce the sexist past of the airline industry. Because when I started, and still today, uh, people will pat us on the rear, call us pet names. And uh, I had someone come up behind me and rub my, my hip and my rear end and actually say to me, what, no girdle? How can you look that good without a girdle on? And You know, this was just pervasive in our workspace and we did look out for each other and we did define our way, but we were finally able to call upon the management to set a different tone of zero tolerance for that kind of behavior and to hold flight attendants up in the role that we have. And that has only been in the past several years and we're not there yet. But we made incredible strides forward because women decided to stand up for each other. And that had a direct relation to the way that our union has always worked. And that has been a direct benefit for us Um, because I think that we uh, stand a little taller and people recognize that they do look to flight attendants for leadership. And we have been able to get a lot done even in the worst circumstances of the past several years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think when you, when you look at how this pandemic and flying during the pandemic has panned out, the role of flight attendants as safety agents and enforcers of in-flight safety has become paramount to people flying right now. This also sounds like a dumb question, but why is it so important that passengers see and like fully understand why flight attendants are actually there?
2: Well, it's important that passengers understand why flight attendants are there and that we are aviation's first responders and not glorified waitresses in the sky or the other terms that people have used to be very dismissive of us. Because aviation safety is foundational to aviation even working, to planes getting up in the air and to people uh, getting from point A to point B safely. We have all kinds of regulations that have been built up over the years and put in place because somebody lost blood. And that's the truth. And so flight attendants are there to enforce those regulations. And people have learned that when they come to the plane, which is not necessarily a familiar space for them, um, they're certainly giving up a lot of their control, Um, They look to flight attendants for leadership. And if everyone comes with the spirit that we're all in this together um, and follows those safety rules, we can do things that we can't do on the ground. And we can do this magical thing that's flight um, and get from New York to LA in five and a half hours. So that's why it's so important that. People follow our instruction and look to us. And it happens every single day when there's a strange jerk on the plane or a strange noise, all the passengers turn and they can see them looking at us. And, you know, if we're smiling and reassuring, all is well. And everybody kind of calms down. And if, If we're looking around, people are like, okay, what's next? What do we do next? And so we understand that, but we also understand that we have had to take that into uh, the public debate as well, especially in this time, because it has been our advocacy that has uh, led the airlines to put in place mask policies that is keeping people more safe. And we can go into all the things with the pandemic, but on any given regular day, We are there for that safety and security. And as we're seeing right now, if people can't take safety and security for granted, they're not going to fly and our economy is not going to work.
1: On the subject of the pandemic, flight attendants are facing health and safety risks and have the union to protect and negotiate for them. And then they are also facing a vast number of potential redundancies and furloughs. How is the union navigating that field at the moment? What does that look like for you on, even on a, a day-to-day basis right now?
2: Well, let me just say first and foremost that
1: uh, I don't want to underplay
2: how unsettling this time has been. Um, how concerning it is as essential workers that we're still having to go to work in the midst of this and fighting hard to make sure that we minimize those risks as, poss- as much as possible with safety policies with our airlines, but also the uncertainty of not knowing whether or not there's going to be a job next month um, or in the fall. We took a leading role in March and put forward a plan to keep aviation workers on the job and connected to our jobs. And actually we were successful in securing in the CARES Act, the only workers first package, 1.25% of the entire $2 trillion package was dedicated to keeping aviation workers in our jobs, connected to our healthcare, and even if not on the job, able to respond and get to work and and to keep that essential uh, flying in place. So this package requires that all of those government funds go to supporting our jobs, our paychecks, and our benefits, our health care, and not a single dollar can be used in any other way. And in addition to that, it requires any airline taking those funds, which is all the airlines, to put a cap on executive compensation, to ban stock buybacks and dividends, all the things that people hate. And we got this. I mean, in this political environment, we got this locked in. There's never been anything like this in the history of any relief packages or bailouts or whatever you want to call them. This has never happened before, where the money goes directly to the people on the front lines and reigns in the worst corporate abuses. So we got that, and we have that locked in until September 30th. Of course, it takes two months planning to uh, bring an airline down or bring an airline up. So if we don't get that extended before this congressional summer recess, then we're going to see massive furloughs October 1st. And everybody knows those warn notices saying that these furloughs are coming, those are rolling out right now. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who are looking at being out of work October 1st. But we should continue this successful jobs program. So we're working and running really hard right now to get Congress to extend that for another six months, because uh, we not only don't have this virus under control, it's going the wrong way. And the numbers are worse than they were in March when we got this initial package in place.
0: When you were talking earlier about pushing the airlines to enforce their mask policies, what was the thought process behind doing that? Because I know a lot of the airlines had said, oh, we're gonna require masks, but we're not gonna make flight attendants enforce it because we don't <laughs> want to put them at risk if there's a, a belligerent uh, passenger who is is does not want to participate. What was the thought process behind pushing that? Quite hard.
2: <laughs> well, uh, the truth is that if the rules are squishy, They're impossible to enforce. And it puts us in an impossible situation because there are people who expect us to enforce those rules who come to our plane. And then there are people who might challenge those rules. And if we don't have clear standards that can back us up with consequences for those who don't follow the rules, we don't have any tools to enforce that. And it creates a conflict on board that we don't have the tools to resolve. So we have been saying from the beginning that this has to be a government mandate. It's great that our airlines have stepped up and done this. It's great that we push them to be even more forceful about enforcing those policies. But until we have a full government mandate to communicate across the board consistently with all travelers at all airports and with consequences um, coming from the federal government— OK, just like you would if you were smoking on a plane, the same kinds of consequences. If you're not following these mask policies, um, then people are going to continue to challenge that and put people at risk. And we are going to continue to spread coronavirus, which is the very problem in the first place um, that puts both our health and our economy at risk. So we are going to continue to push for a government mandate and in the meantime, work with our airlines to be as clear and as forceful as possible. And, I, you know, I, I have to give a lot of kudos to uh, United and American Airlines because they have been the best at um, making it very clear to
1: passengers that, no,
2: the police are coming <laughs> because um, we take this seriously and we're going to take this seriously and you're not going to fly on us again.
1: In the past few weeks, there's been sort of odd news reports about people getting confused about passengers not being spaced enough in cabins Mm -hmm. or not allowed to move into first class if it's too crowded. And you mentioned that United, for example, has done a really good job. Do you think the airlines are doing enough? Do you think they are working hard enough? Um,
2: This crisis is so big
1: you know, I talked about 9 and how
2: that impacted me personally and how it and how it had a huge impact on our industry. This is five times bigger than that, and we're not even through it yet. So we don't even know how big of an impact this is going to be. It's economics one oh one. When you have a major disruptor like this, <laughs> and this is so much bigger than even the, the best example of that. <laughs> but when you have a major disruptor like this, private industry is not going to make the best decisions because they are driven by what the market provides. And that's why public health policy is driven by governments and not by private industry. So they've done a pretty good job. I I mean, I have to say that our airlines have been about as responsive as they can be, but we need to be realistic about this, that they're just not set up for the kinds of incentives um, or even the expertise to be able to do this properly. It has to come from the government. Public health policy has to come from the government in order to work.
0: Makes sense. Pandemics have historically led to these massive shifts in the way our society operates and usually come with some sort of innovation or cultural change, um, you know, hopefully led by governments putting in policies in place that protect their citizens. Um, But how would you like to see the airline industry specifically evolve when we come out the other side of this? So um,
2: pandemics do often lead to massive change, and I see massive change coming (laughs) because people have a shared experience. And anytime people have a shared experience, there is enough momentum to make change because the way that you make change is by thoroughly defining the problem and the problem that we have had leading up to this moment is that we have believed that the market can handle anything, can set all the decisions for us. And the truth is that that has led to massive inequality and racial and gender inequality, and it's not a fair system for everyone and it doesn't it doesn't give us a chance to be strong. I mean, aviation the truth of the matter is aviation doesn't work if masses of people don't have the ability to buy airplane tickets um, or have the ability to travel, have a reason to travel. So these other industries have to be strong too. That's only going to work if we really address the issues of the disparity in our society. And airplanes are a place where people see this more than anywhere and they focus their concern and their anger around their place in life where they're working harder and harder and falling farther and farther behind and they see that when they get to an airplane door and they've got to walk through first class before they get to maybe there might also be a business class before they get to economy plus before they get to economy and then you know maybe something even a little worse and It's sort of counterintuitive to what I was talking about and how aviation works, that we're in this spirit of all being in in this together. So I don't think that that's just about aviation. Um, I do think that aviation is where people can see that what we want to achieve can be reflected in the experience in aviation, but this is really more about recognizing that Uh, We are only strong if we take care of our people. And if one person, if the pandemic lives in one person, the pandemic lives on in all of us because the risk exists. Um, So an injury to one is an injury to all. And it just changes the way that we are going to approach everything. There is going to be a spirit of solidarity. There is going to. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that in the protests in the streets right now. And there is going to be a desire for everyone to have access to things like aviation. It wasn't that long ago that it was only men that would fly. And it was actually the flight attendant career was started by a woman who was a pilot, but she was told she was too emotional to be in the cockpit. (laughs) And so she said, well, you know, um, how about um, since these planes are flying at a level where it's very turbulent and the uh, men who are flying often get sick and are often unsettled, why don't you have women in the cabin tend to them, these emotional men who can't handle it? Um, (laughs) And (laughs) so today, what I would say is that there's a lot of women on the front lines in um, healthcare, at grocery stores, uh, as flight attendants in the aviation industry, who are leading the way and taking care of people. And what we're recognizing actually is that those emotions are actually our superpower for society and for our future. And we're going to start to listen more to people who have not been heard from before. I think that is going to be a major change. And that is, is naturally going to lead to more fairness and more inclusiveness and um, less inequality because we're going to have more voices at the table who are respected because they've been seen. They've been seen during this pandemic.
0: That feels like a very lovely place to end. Um, If people want to keep up with what you are doing and what the union is working on, where can they find you on the internet?
2: So people can find me on Twitter at Flying with Sarah. Uh, you can follow what our union is doing at afacwa.org. Or if you want to follow our union on Twitter too, that's AFA underscore CWA. And uh, we'd love to see you there and we love to have interaction with the public just like we do every day on the job. And um, I really appreciate talking with both of you. And thank you so much for, for your program and for uh, bringing these issues to the world.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. You can find me at Oh Hey There, Mayor. You can find me at Laleh Hannah. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram and sign up for our newsletter. As always, all of the links to things that we've mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes. We will talk to you next week.